Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's episode, we talk about weird fishing terms, overnight fishing trips, the mountain lion in my neighborhood, and the strangest fishing patterns we've heard of or ever been on. So hope you guys enjoy and uh, stick around. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. Uh, how hot is it in your garage right now, Nick? You know, I would say it's probably only like 41 degrees Celsius. That's pretty good. Do you <laughs> so know maybe the about 100, 139 Fahrenheit, I think. Uh, I wish I was sitting over there in Rob's beautifully air-conditioned leather-seated F-150 because uh, he probably even has like a blender plugged in back there and he's sipping on a cold beverage. Oh, of course. It's uh, 98, <laughs> 98 degrees outside and nice and frosty in here. So yeah, 71 in there. Right? That's why people can't hear yeah. you as well, because your blender is going in the background and it's sucking all the electricity from your microphone. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> How about you, Josh? Is it nice and cool in your garage? Oh, yeah. Same thing, man. It's just hot. And it's, it's funny how this time of year, like 98, I mean, 98's hot. Don't get me wrong. But 98 in may feels so much hotter than 98 in like late september early october here in arizona because i don't know man my body gets used to it throughout the course of the summer and i'm just not prepared for it right now i've been going fishing pretty frequently and um, man it just kicks my butt early in the year like i'm just not in shape to fish in the heat and then what by the time you get to august man you're like i mean i'll go out there and fish in 100 and 108 degrees and, and, and fish eight hours and be able to do it. But this time of year, it just kills me. Is it, are you guys the same way? I agree a hundred percent. 98 this time of year is brutal and 98 at the end of the summer is refreshing. It's kind of crazy, but that's how it is. So it's a matter of acclimating, right? A hundred percent. Yesterday guys just about killed me. I fished a derby, um, up at Roosevelt, uh, with our buddy Alex, who was on the podcast before. And, so it gets light so early in Arizona this time of year to get in. And this is, I mean, we talked about it. You guys were both thinking about going and ended up not going for other reasons, but like we were talking about how that's, early that was one of that's them. That's the huh? reason I didn't go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, dude, if it gets light at five o'clock and you've got a two hour drive and you've got to be there an hour before takeoff because there's a hundred boats. So you got to get in the water early and get all ready and stuff. And then, you know, for me, I, it takes me like an hour from when I wake up. I'm not a morning person. I've talked about this before. It takes me a good hour to be awake, have the boat hooked up and ready to go, have something in my stomach and be out of the house. So my alarm was set for 1.15 uh, <laughs> <laughs> yesterday morning. So I get up at 1.15. Look That's how bright-eyed and bushy-tailed you are, though, man. You must have laid it all on your wife you got home and just napped. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I can't no. help you. I was in bed. Uh, I slept for 11 hours last night, so I'm for nice. it. Well, it's funny because Rob said he bailed because of that. And so I had a long week with uh, – I my 10-month-old is just uh, nocturnal right now, so we haven't been sleeping very much. And uh, so I was going to fit with our buddy Mitch, also who's on – the podcast in previous episodes and so you know he had joked in that episode that uh, my nickname is croissant because i'm a little more flaky than your regular bread and uh so by about thursday the croissant started to flake and uh so mitch did you being flake the off ever slowly or did you just completely like break break apart well we all know my passive aggressive nature is never do anything with a solid break so it was more of like a gentle crumble before it finally <laughs> released. So he's all, he's, you know, he's Johnny on the spot. I went to bed Thursday night and I woke up Friday morning to a screenshot where he had found a night derby at Saguaro. I see that they lifted the uh, um, national park ban. So we're able to fish the lakes now that have boat ramps in the uh, national park. So he's like, dude, you're not sleeping anyways. Why don't you just uh, fish this night tournament with me? So I waffled and waffled, and so I ended up not doing it, and he fished alone. Dude, it was pretty funny. I got up at 2 o'clock in the morning with my son because it was my turn, and uh, I sent him a text. I was like, how'd you do? He was driving home from the lake, so he was still awake from fishing the night tournament, and I'm up with my son. Dude, yeah, oh, instantly. He's like, I'm pretty good. I'm not sick. Then he's going back and forth with me, so it's funny. It's like 
And I don't know where that's going other than it's good to have options for tournaments. Again, things are opening up here a lot more and I'm a, I'm a wimp that uh, isn't getting enough sleep to fish. Well, it props to him for still rolling out there and giving it a shot, you know, and I'm sure it was probably cool for him to get back out on that lake because that lake had opened just that day, man. So I'm sure yeah. those talk about some unpressured fish. I know the fishing was probably mediocre and that maybe is just a post spawn deal or whatever, but it, it's uh, cool to be fishing for fish that haven't been pestered for the last two months. Did Did you guys see that post? The guy did some really like D level uh, photoshopping of some flathead catfish, and then he was he was trolling everybody, saying that he had been out there and you know had caught like three over forty pounds. It was so funny seeing people just lighting him up. Half the people believed him. And then the other half were like, you're so horrible at Photoshopping. Like, you can't even get the shadows to face the right direction. And only like 1% of the people realized that it was like a troll post from the start. So you got to love the internet. The best it, part about Photoshopping is the comments afterwards, right? 100%. <laughs> they, were, they were some tank flatheads, wherever that guy caught them from. I know what you're talking about. I saw it too. Yeah. Dude, uh, before you move on to the yellow notepad, I'm going to say something awkward that we probably can't follow up. But when you think of the common course of human history, photoshopping has to be one of our best advancements. Do you think of like how boring and mundane life would be if we weren't able to photoshop things? That took comedy and humor to a whole nother level. Like, <laughs> take a moment of silence and gratitude for, whoever, for Adobe. Mr. Adobe hooked us up. We're not worthy. <laughs> no kidding. Dude, it's a... Uh... I, it's a skill that I wish I had because, uh, I, I don't know. It would, you probably it have as much fun. skill as that guy does. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, this sounds all right. Does Nick sound really choppy to you, Rob? Yes. Yeah, he does. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully uh, we're not killing our listeners here, but, uh, we'll go a little bit longer and then, um, if we need to reconnect, we will, but, um, yeah, onto the yellow notepad here, Rob, you had an overnight fishing trip with Boyd earlier in the week, man. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, we did. We went out to uh, Bartlett Lake, uh, left Tuesday afternoon, fished in the evening. I think we caught like 35 fish that evening. It was just, it was an absolute blast. Uh, as soon as it got dark, the fishing kind of turned off a little bit. So we just pulled into a cove and uh, put the shallow water anchors down and crawl in our sleeping bags and went to sleep. Woke up at like four in the morning. Um, one of Boyd's buddies, uh, Alec Marsh, he was... Uh, a pitcher at Arizona State last year, and he's with the Kansas City Royals now. Uh, he met us out there in the morning and fished with, with us in the morning, and um, it's pretty. It was pretty funny, you know. Boyd's always told me he liked to fish, and you always hear that, right? But Alec can actually fish. The kid was a star. really it was a lot of fun. Actually, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. So he grew up in uh, Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Um, they had a cabin up in, or they have cabins up in northern uh, Wisconsin, and. He would fish every summer, all summer. So, yeah, it was, he was a very skilled angler, so it was a lot of fun to fish with him. Um, it got downright cold out there sleeping on the boat. That was kind of a surprise, right? You go to, you lay down, it's like 80 degrees, and you wake up in the morning and, you know, probably in the mid-50s. So knowing, knowing you, you had to have been prepared for that, right? I mean. Of course, yeah. We had yeah. we had the, the right sleeping bags and everything. And, yeah, it was fun. It was just uh, kind of the spur of the moment type trip and, and uh very enjoyable to sleep underneath the stars and on a perfect night. So it's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So That's, what do you guys bring to eat for dinner? Um, so I just brought one of my Yeti coolers and I brought some, uh, some boar's head sandwich meat and made some sandwiches. Um, what else did we have? I don't no know. No fresh largemouth bath fillets. No, none of those. Um, <laughs> I actually drank a beer. That was like one of six that I'll drink this year. So that was interesting. Nice. Right on. That's cool. Um, were yeah, you throwing up later? Just, no, I was fine. I just slept good, so it was all good. <laughs> but, but it actually, I didn't sleep that good. It, <laughs> you wake up, it, it's tough to sleep out there like that when you're just you're not comfortable, right? But it was, um, I was pretty wore out the next day, so but yeah. it was definitely worth it for sure. That's cool. Glad you guys got to do that. I mean, I it's yep. been probably 10 years at least since I slept on the boat, but uh, you used to always go up to Lake Powell and do like long trips like that, right? Because it was just, you'd, you'd have to drive so far to your fishing spot, it was pointless to come back and practice, right? Yeah, I've got a funny story about that. We were up there, I want to say it was in April. Um, it was the original Wild West Bass out here. Now there's another Wild West Bass. This was a completely different organization, but um, 
I want to say it was in the mid to late nineties and every single tournament, they would give away a champion boat. So you'd have literally like a $250 entry and you're going to fish your local one day team tournament and you're fishing for a boat. So we took them, we took them pretty serious. And, um, we had one up at Lake Powell and, you know, it was a one day tournament, but you could pre-fish right up to it. So we took all our camping gear, took two different boats, uh, ran all the way up to San Juan, which at full throttle is like an hour and 45 minutes. So, I mean, it's a long ways and you, coming back is just pointless. You burn too much gas and just, so anyhow, we brought all our camping gear, got all in our tents that night, woke up the next morning and literally there was like two inches of snow on everything. Oh, covered. What time of year is this? The March, April? It was like in April. Yeah. So it was, uh, I mean, that's 4,000 feet up there. So it's just one of those deals. It was one of those freak storms. Um, And it was pretty cool. But I've also, I want to say it was a different trip we were up there. I blew my motor up up there. Uh, And it was just a nightmare. Yeah, it was terrible. How did you get back, dude? Did you get towed all the way back to Wawi? Yes. So we had two boats again, and we took my buddy's, my partner's boat back. We fished the tournament. Um, and we're going to fish up in that area. So I just left my boat up there. There's literally no one up there. You just left it on a beach up there. Just put it in a cove, left it. We went back in his boat. Um, we went up and fished the, we started the tournament that morning and our intentions were if we did well, we would weigh in and figure, you know, figure out how to get my boat back later. Right. Um, but we brought a small prop, like an 18 pitch prop for his boat and a big tow rope. And we were struggling that day and we just, we weren't going to finish very well. So we just ended up hooking my boat up and towed it all the way back. Oh um, crap. A hundred, over a hundred miles then. I don't know if it's a hundred, it's a long ways. I don't know how exactly miles wise, but you know, like I said, full throttle, it's like an hour and 45 minutes. Um, <laughs> so we hooked it up with this rope, this big, heavy tow rope uh, with an 18 pitch prop. We were able to get his boat on plane. So we're towing it on plane. And that's talk about a rodeo. I mean, stuff could go wrong in a hurry, but that we, far. We got, yeah, we got it back and it really didn't take that long. Just being on plane, we're probably going, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 miles an hour. I don't know. It was uh, not something I want to do again, but it definitely worked. So. so what happens, you know, this is an interesting thing that I've thought about. And I'm sure 99% of people will know the answer to this because they're smarter than me. But when you are towing a boat like that, dude, like, and you have to stop. The boat behind it, like, what do you do? Like, you just, you have enough space just, in the rope for it to gradually slow down? Yeah, you just slow down slowly, and it, it'll come back off pad just like you do. So, okay. it's, Good uh, question. It, I thought about that, too, man. I've never done it. Yeah, it's not, it's not that, it's not as tough as you would think. It's just a, all uh, okay. about the gearing and having the right, the right pitch prop to be able to get it up on pad initially. So. Well, that elevation up there, dude, you've already got it downsized anyways. That's a... You do. quite the yep. feat for a motor to be able to get another boat up on pad at elevation like that. Yeah, yeah I say full throttle up there. Fast boats will, I mean, a 70-mile-an-hour boat up there will run like 62. <laughs> so yeah. It's, it, it definitely, today it's probably different with the four-strokes or the, That's you know, interesting, the, the maybe. Motors, motors are probably a little different. I don't I don't recall if, I, I had to have EFI when I was running up there, so that had to be all right. But carbureted motors, I mean, they'd take a beating up in that elevation for sure. So, gotcha. Yeah, yeah you got to rejet them. Yeah, <laughs> you would have to to get them to run right. And I mean, it's just it wasn't worth it going up there for once, you know, one tournament. So, right. But that's that's prehistoric bass fishing times right there. That's we're talking. Yeah, man. Motors. I think you probably lost to like a Tyrannosaurus Rex or something in that one, right? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Bill Dan feed him, dude. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Much better joke, Josh. Thank you for that. I needed that. Calm Bill Dan's his dad. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. you go. So, dude, uh, I didn't have this written down, but it reminds me of a, sto- a, Gar- a Gary Klein story. And I want to get Gary on this show because he has so many amazing fishing stories. But he told me a story about fishing Lake Powell. Like when he was, and I don't know what year this would be, maybe like the, I don't know, when do you think he started? 1980? Fishing Late back 30s. east? yeah late seven yeah probably late 80s 70s early 80s um, probably early, probably in the 80s yeah somewhere around there right i remember on. a i remember a seminar that he and uh a couple other i can't remember who they were but we went to a seminar here when he was just starting to go back east so that was 
that was uh, I shouldn't say just starting, but he was maybe established back there. It was in the mid '80s. Okay, so. so yeah, so this is before then. This is like when he's first getting his start. He's probably 20 years old or something like that, or in his early 20s, yeah. and he's he's just getting established. He's got, you know, whatever boats they had back then. I think they probably had 150s, but they just they weren't nearly as reliable as even what was a little bit further down the road. So he gets up there and finds some fish in the San Juan and starts running up there the first morning of the tournament. And, you know, he's running this boat. He's got what he said what they would do is they would stash. They'd have gas cans in the boat and they'd stash gas cans in places on the way up to be able to get all the way up there for this trek, which is incredible to even think about what they'd have to go through to get up there, you know. And he's got he's, you know he's running up there and he can hear the motor starting to act up like on the way up and uh, not a good sign, obviously gets up there and catches a huge bag of fish. And on the way back, it's like acting up the whole way back. Same thing. I don't remember. It's been five years since he told me the story, but he gets back and his motor blows like right at the ramp. Of course, you know, Uh. he makes it back, dude, but his motor's fried. And back then it's same thing. Like they didn't have service crews. They couldn't just pop a new power head on it. And be good to go. So, uh, um, D. Thomas, the father of flipping, you know, super, super uh, famous, well-known bass fisherman from California, was like Gary's mentor. He was like his his real teacher when Gary was young. Taught Gary how to flip, and um, was kind of kind of the guy that showed Gary the way. And um, he, you know, Gary's got a chance to win this tournament. It's his first tournament, and he goes up and tells. D like, Hey, you know, uh, you know, I I'm leading the tournament or in the top five or whatever. My motor's blowing. I can't get back up there. And D's like, hold on. I got a guy that owes me a favor. So he, he goes to a guy that's in the tournament after the first day. And he's like, Hey, I'm cashing in my favor. Give Gary your boat for tomorrow. So (laughs) he gave his boat, dude. And, uh, goes up there again and wins the tournament. Pretty cool. That's awesome. Gary goes out and blanks. He's like, sorry for cashing in your favor, bro. (laughs) Your boat sucks. I've got a a, a story about Powell. It was in the late 90s. It was one of the Bassmasters. It was one of the first Western Bassmasters out here in that era. So not, it wasn't part of like the original invitationals or the original opens or any of the tours. It was when they established the Western Bassmasters opens out here. And um, just to show how much of an animal Lake Powell is, guys just underestimated it how much fuel it would take to run all the way up the lake and get back uh-huh and i remember the weigh-in the first day i'm seriously like 10 or 15 boats were floating in wall by themselves it was glass calm and guys just ran out of gas before they got back hopped in other guys boats and ran in to weigh their fish so just the bays just got boats floating all over the place dude that's gnarly everywhere i mean it Thank goodness it was completely calm that day because they were able to do that. But guys just stepped out of their boat, went and weighed their fish and worried about getting <laughs> That's their boat eerie, weighed. dude. That's hilarious. Yep, yep. <laughs> but, but it, I mean, I remember fishing team tournaments there in the 90s that, I mean, we were strapping gas cans to the back of the boat and just, just terrible. You have all that stinky gas on your boat and it's just, it's terrible. But it, yeah. it's what you had to do to get back, you know? Well, it's a... Yeah, there's there's that one marine. I think it's called dangling rope, That's and isn't that dangling like? Rope. Yep. And it's only open a specific you know period of the year, and even that it has weird hours. And it's yeah, I don't know, man. That that's Lake Powell has and a pretty gas, unique. And the thing about dangling rope is, I mean, gas is like four bucks a gallon or more. I mean, it was ridiculous <laughs> what it cost. So we were just in team terms fishing for twelve hundred bucks. Like we're not gonna spend that. We're gonna strap that's gas. nine hundred bucks on gas. <laughs> right. But it's um, it's probably the coolest lake that I've ever fished, though. So it's. Have you been on it? Have either one of you guys been on, pal? Only one time for me. Nick's been there several times. Yeah, yeah man, I, yeah. I I get my mail sent there. No, I'm just kidding. It's been a long time <laughs> since I went, but for a while I fished there a lot. And Rob, how about the how about the monsoon storms on pal? Did you ever encounter any of those wild, fastly developing monsoon storms? No, because I I mostly fished it in the spring. In the spring. Um, yeah, we did. I've done like four houseboat trips there and we were able to, we were usually like May, June. So the uh-huh. monsoon hadn't kicked in yet. Thank goodness. Cause those are gnarly. I believe you're the one that sent me videos of some of those boulders rolling down those canyons, right? Yeah. Really? Rock 
dead come loose. But and I, I maybe I've shared videos of stuff or maybe with someone else cooler than me. I just ran into it where like you know a lot of those canyons are super super narrow. So you've only got you know who knows maybe 50 feet of you know from from cliff wall to cliff wall, and the wind just starts deflecting off of that, and it's like a I don't even know how to describe. It's kind of like being in, on the inside of a vacuum cleaner. You know, it's just swirling around in there. And I remember my brother and I for like 30 minutes trying to just stay off the walls in a canyon because, you know, you're so far back there and trying to run through it. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a cool lake because it, uh, it keeps you humble, right? You gotta, you gotta pay attention to some things that other lakes you can just kind of roll with and not be too concerned about. Yeah. One thing I've noticed is, uh, how in general, the times that I've been there stays calmer than me does. Um, mm. I, I know Powell's been, I've been in big stuff at Powell, but just less often. It's yeah. uh, more likely to be glass calm than say Lake Mead is. So it's obviously just the region that it's in, but the wind is yeah. just blows violently over there, huh? Yeah. Dude, so I don't know why this became the Lake Powell pot episode and we'll move on, but I, this is my last thought on it. Did you guys know that, uh, so when they built the dam, obviously that had just been riverbed and it, it rose up. Apparently, like scuba divers have gone a lot of those those slot canyons and those narrow spots like I was just talking about. You know, there was just ruins from the ancient people that used to live there, like going back a thousand or two thousand years. There was still like signs of their civilization. Apparently, divers have gone down in some of those canyons and still found like their artifacts. But now they're wow. just, you know, 80 feet below the surface. But they're still because they lived in the caves, like in those cliff walls. It's the old Anasazi way right there, John. <laughs> that's that's pretty cool and again same same word but kind of eerie to think they had you know they're now they're underwater how weird is that man? yeah um, so hey so uh real quick before we move on i think we need to reconnect um to the listeners we apologize for the choppiness so far this podcast but i think we're having internet issues so we're going to stop this recording and cut in another recording uh right where we left off but um I think 20 minutes of this has been enough. Hopefully the next 40 minutes will sound a little bit better. So bear with us, guys. Here we go. Um, Take two. <laughs> all right, guys. Welcome back. This is our second try. We're about 22 minutes in. So um, that's that's all cool on Lake Powell. Um, a couple <laughs> quick notes from our last – couple quick notes from our last show <laughs> as Nick's dog just goes off. That's so funny. <laughs> Nick's little chihuahua. I see him in the back. I see her in the background. Uh, but a couple quick notes from our last episode. We were talking about the shad spawn, and Nick asked the question: So, how does it work when they spawn? Like, how how does the spawning process actually work? And I had a pretty uh, cool message. I got a few messages on this, but I actually had a guy by the name of Wes from. He actually works for Texas Wildlife. He sent us a uh, message, kind of um, describing how the spawning process for shad works. And he, nice. on this link, it, it's more gizzard shad based, but I would assume they're the same. Um, and spawning generally takes place in late spring um, in shallow protected water, which we know. Um, here's the interesting part. Eggs and milt are released into the school seemingly without regard for individual mates. Adhesive eggs attach to submerged objects and hatch in about four days. So that's how it works. They didn't go into any detail. I was curious, do they like smooth jazz, you know, dim lighting? You know, how do they set the mood? Well, that yeah, they do. They like um, a certain type of year and okay. uh, shallow protected water. So Ooh, uh, that's, okay. their, that's what gets them in the mood. And they get a little Barry White going. I also like that they're unprejudiced. They just <laughs> go for it. Like that, uh, that's a good, maybe we could all learn from the gizzard chads. You just, you just procreate. You don't even have <laughs> standards or anything. You just go for it. Look like, at look at the life they live compared to the life we live, Nick. True, I'd trade it in a second. They should be. They have a mortgage. <laughs> they don't have a mortgage. <laughs> well, that's. <laughs> <laughs> I think the gizzard shad has evolved higher in the consciousness than humans have. Dude, they got it figured I'm, out. Dude, life as a shad is a rough life. I mean, if you're a fish, if you're a fish living in a freshwater lake, I flathead catfish, a hundred percent, dude. Yeah, hundred percent. You live long. You eat everything. You have best. You have like first dibs of the best habitat in the entire lake but you're you're an a-hole right like no one likes you right? yeah, but like people are afraid to touch you well i've never known that experience in life i'm i'm very much a weakling so i'm sure that that might be a nice change of pace for me <laughs> so shout out to that guy thank you for clarifying that now we know so much more about 
random weird stuff that I didn't know and probably no one cared about. So thank you to him. Yeah. And uh, so I know we've already kind of gotten into the fishing and normally the weird random stuff we get to first, but I forgot when we started this thing, I had a little story for you guys. I talked about in two ep- two episodes ago or three episodes ago, I talked about my experience with my neighbor in the pizza party. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thankfully, this is uninvited. The best party. title that ever. The episode uninvited. Um, this one comes from our neighborhood has a Facebook group, um, just like where I guess you know cu- current events, news. If someone's breaking into cars, you're going to hear about it on there. If someone's Dog barks too much. Uh, yeah, ex- exactly. It's it's 99% just absolutely uh, dumb stuff. <laughs> Com- people complaining about, you know, someone driving too fast down the road or, you know, uh, just, just whatever, man. Um, but this was hilarious. And I want to read a couple of these posts. <laughs> I'm sure, same thing. I'm sure these poor ladies aren't listening to this podcast. If, if they are, I'm sorry. I'm sure. It was they're... our last negative review I just read. So it was them. <laughs> All right, here it is. Caution. We were walking in the park behind Linden Street in the Blue Hood by the basketball court, and there was a cougar in a tree hissing at us. Oh, my God. Well, dude, I think most of the cougars live in the South Scottsdale region of our area here, and they, you know, late late morning is uh, usually their, their bedtime, so that uh, that cougar was clearly lost. And that's what a couple comments were. They were saying what type of, of cougar were. was it? <laughs> a couple that are on there. Did she have uh, a Prada handbag? So, dude, some of course, and, and, uh, just for the listeners, like we live in Phoenix. Like I'm on the edge of the grid, but I'm still in the grid. Like I'm not living out in the desert. I live in a very, very, and just a normal neighborhood. Manicured subdivision. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just not a place where you're going to find a mountain lion. So someone, and it's possible. I mean, there's a little bit, there's like, some open blocks of land around us. So like, it's possible it was a bobcat or there's coyotes around once in a while. So someone goes, it was probably a bobcat. And she goes, no, it was no bobcat. It was a lot bigger than my 80 pound dog. And it was hissing at us from a tree. Oh my and, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple more comments and then, you know, they're just more, what are you kidding? Nope. Dead serious. So, uh, of course I'm laughing but the next morning, I'm the, it's the Shad Spawn, so I'm getting up early in the morning to go fishing, and it's like three o'clock when I'm leaving my house. This is in practice for last week's tournament, so I'm I drive. Uh, I'm like, dude, I'm gonna drive by this park and see whatever animal it is that she's seeing, because it's gonna be out at 3 a.m. And dude, as I'm pulling up, I I I look at my headlights and I go, no kidding, son of a gun, there's a cat and it's tan. Um, but it's a it's a Garfield, dude. It's, oh, it's Garfield. Like this cat is Garfield. There's no <laughs> chance that you know. What are the odds that there's a cat that's that same tan color, a big giant fat house cat, in that same park, like in the same tree? Yeah, it probably yeah, ate a, the cougar. Well, if there was a mountain lion, there would the cat's name would be Lunch. So yeah. no kidding. Yeah, think about yeah, think about the animals and little kids and stuff. A mountain lion would be yeah. terrifying. I talked about this with Alex, but he said they eat like a deer a week or something like that. Wow. They eat quite a bit, yeah. Dude, a couple of years ago, or maybe it's only been a year, who knows, the vortex of time is hard to fathom. But do you remember that story? I think it came out of the Northwest somewhere where that dude fought off a mountain lion with his bare hands and killed it. I do. It was Colorado. He was a trail runner, and it was a... It was an immature uh, mountain lion, but he killed it with his own bare hands. Yep. Come to find out, it wasn't like it was a baby. What, like, how big was it, Rob? It was just like a teenager type, eight, you know, just it wasn't a baby, but it wasn't a full grown one either. But gotcha. still, I mean, that was. Yeah. But way to cast shade on a guy who killed a mountain lion with his bare hands. I don't care if it was a two hour old cub. I'm still <laughs> voting for that guy to be president. That's who we need to lead this country right there. Uh... <laughs> Have you ever seen one in the wild, Rob? I've seen two, um, both of them at distances with my binoculars. Hmm. Um, it's uh, pretty rare. I know we're around them all the time. I mean, they say, put, think how many have seen you. <laughs> a lot of them. I mean, we put trail cams out in every single one of our trail cams where there's deer, there's mountain lions, big ones too. So it's uh, they're out and about. Dude, sure. There used to be jaguars in northern Mexico and up into Arizona. I think those have all been 
turned, you know, taken over by the Tiger King. But a hundred years ago, <laughs> there was quite a few of them, apparently, like ocelots and you know, cousins of jaguars. It's it's a jungle out here. This desert's a jungle. <laughs> I. I would like to uh, see what things looked like 200 years ago, 300 years ago. It'd be very interesting. You know, matter of fact, there's a picture of that um, at the Bass Pro Shops here in Mesa. I'll show it to you guys. Sometimes. Really, there's like a, a there's mural? A dude, dude, no, it's like a, it's like a black and white grainy photo where you know, like Heming, uh, Hemingway style, like back when they killed and kept everything they caught. Dude, the guy's bear hugging a, a jaguar that he shot. I think it was up near Cam Verde. Next time I'm a BP, I'll take a picture and text it to you. Like, no joke, it's a real picture. That's cool. Right on. Yeah, do yeah. that, man. Right on. I will. I, I ran into an old school rancher a couple of years ago scouting for deer. And uh, his claim, and it's not just his claim, it's I'm sure it's pretty true, but he's been involved in 404 mountain lion kills. He's Dang. A, he's, that guy yeah, seems he, stuff. Yes. Yeah, he's a, um, a known lion guy, uh, a rancher literally like an hour and a half off of a he was like an hour and a half off a of gravel road. <laughs> you know who's he's coming after him? Carol Baskins. Yeah he's, <laughs> yeah, he's in the middle of nowhere, and he's he's in his mid-80s. Just uh, the stories. I could listen to that guy for days. It was pretty interesting. <laughs> interesting. Uh, That's cool, dude. Nick dropping the Carol Baskins. So. It's everyone's, you know, if there's ever anything wrong, Carol Baskins. She's got to be one of the most famous people in the country right now. I mean, everyone from that episode. But, yeah, that lady, that poor lady, boy, her, she's dealing with some serious stuff right now, wherever Good. she's at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. So, right on. Well, um, okay, so moving it back to the fishing front, we had um, kind of a cool topic we discussed about in the show or the show before. And um, we, when we had reached out and asked listeners for just some topic suggestions, and we, I got another one. Um, who was this from Dexter flick? Um, now that's asked, a great name. It is. It's shout a great, out to Dexter his. Okay. So weirdest pattern or weirdest patterns that you guys have ever been on. Um, and I'll share his first and then we, we can talk about ours. We'll see if we can top this one. But so this is, he's talking, he says he likes to fish duck blinds, which absolutely hundred percent. It's great cover. They're in an ideal spot. It's a great place to catch a big fish, and uh, it's different because they're not everywhere. But his buddies was on that same lines, but a little weirder for different reasons. His buddy <laughs> would follow actual ducks around and cast at them because his thought process was they would poop <laughs> in the water, and the bluegills would eat the poop, and the bass would hang around and follow the bluegill and eat the bass. So, I mean, if that is – I don't know if the bluegill eat that but i don't know it's possible Dude, that's that's like buddhist level patterning right there like we're all interconnected right it's got to start at the bottom of the food chain and you just progressively work your way there's a lot of that and think about all the targets you have to cast at too man millions of ducks all around you <laughs> how many ducks have been hitting the head with a head weight dude a ledge buster <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, i got into that yeah, Rob probably was on that bite back in the late 80s, but I personally have never um, never caught a fish eating the bluegill who was eating the poop from a cormorant. Yeah, I got nothing that weird, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, so it's only downhill from here, but how about you oh, guys? Yeah. Have you guys ever been on something kind of weird off the wall? I've been on some weird off the wall bites, and um, some of them have turned into what we do all the time now. Um, and what I mean by that is, Back in, uh, I think it was the spring of 2000, again, it was a Bassmaster Open on Clear Lake. Um, do you remember Ben Matsubu? Yeah. Okay, so Ben is like, he was he worked at Yamamoto's. Uh, ben has won a, he won an elite event down in Florida a few years He's ago. He's a stud Maybe fisherman, yep. Stud, that guy catches them everywhere, right? And Ben's a good friend of mine, and he was working at Yamamoto's, and the Cinco had just come out, right? And we kind of laughed at it just because it was like a turd floating through the water column. Yeah. What Sinking was it? Through right? the water so column. Yeah. He correct. Had one, he had one tied on. Um, it was the watermelon J and he had a bag of them laying on his deck of his boat and the tails kind of discolored. Anyhow, he was fishing one. He cast, we were using it originally as like a fluke type bait where you twitch it. Right. Cause we didn't know any better. And he, Cast it up to these edge of these toolies at Clear Lake, gets a backlash, starts pulling the backlash out, 
gets that straightened out, reels up, and all of a sudden it's tight. He catches like an eight pounder. He ends up catching like 25 pounds or some crazy amount of fish by just casting casting it up to the edge of the tulies and letting it settle dead, you know, dead stick. Like we do a lot, right? And but we we're just blown away with it. So Is this how it me, started? That's exactly how it started. Ben you were with him? The, um, no, but we were rooming together. Okay. You know, we, we always talked, right? And he's like, Rob, you got to try this, man. This is the craziest thing I've ever done. And I ended up catching, I cashed a check. I was somewhere in the top 20, I think, in that tournament, strictly on a Cinco dead sticking it. And Dude. it was 100, 100% due to Ben Matsubu getting a backlash on the right cast. <laughs> I can't. This so, is so significant right now that you were that, that dead sticking a soft stick bait started in your hotel room, dude. That goes. That's amazing. It, it also shows how old room, you are, dude. It shows how old I am. Yes, that was 20 years ago when it happened. And so, so let's let's huh? let's clarify the pattern. So you need to throw a large backcast backlash, right? Because it doesn't work. You need to have a giant mess to untangle. Because otherwise, you don't have enough patience to dead stick it properly, right? So you need, like, a deep one where you got, like, tools out right. and stuff, right? That's that was exactly how he tools. figured it out was from that initial backlash. That's crazy, so, man. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's that's amazing, yeah. man. But how about Ben recognizing it, right, and then continuing no to do that? That's the part that was – it's it just blows my mind that he's not one of the top guys in the game because he has the ability to be that guy. So he probably needs a statue made in honor of that moment though. That that oh, yeah. alone is worthy. Yep. Think yeah, about I, all the best. I don't know if he I don't know if he gets credit for that, um, but he certainly deserves it, you know. So it was kind so of designed was, as a, like a soft jerkbait type bait. That's how we all initially fished it. Like a sluggo. Yeah, and we had a Yamamoto store here that Ben worked at and shoot, we we'd hang out there all the time. So I mean, I remember when it came out what it you know what it was originally for and meant to be and i I think it just kind of changed as as that happens so the cinco is funny because you look at like all these beautiful amazingly like accurate lifelike looking lures that there are and then you look at something that came out of a mold that looks like an obese night crawler that you do nothing with and it catches fish just as but just as good, if not better, as like the most realistic lifelike oh, bait yeah. fish or crawfish imitation. It's like yeah. fish really do have small brains or bad eyes. I'm not sure well, which one it is, but and and there's there's definitely in some situations there's a lot of usefulness to your bait looking really really lifelike and realistic to something in the water. But man, Edwin Evers made the point. We were at a, a dinner for Berkeley not terribly long ago, and it was this year. And he's like, hey. I want to just give you guys props for building baits that actually catch fish. And, and they're not designed to catch fish from they're designed to catch fish. And you look mm. at so many of the different baits on the shelves in stores across the country, and they're just beautiful, man. They've got uh, 907 scales and <laughs> this exact type of hue of this and that. But, like, were they ever tested on actual fish bef- and, 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 you know, designed for specific situations that we run into as American bass fishermen and bass fishermen around the world? Uh, you know, I don't know, man. It's like it's, it's like some of the prettiest baits that you're just like, man, that thing is beautiful. Might not catch fish as well as something that's very simple, but was designed with like a specific purpose to make fish do something. And the key you say there is as well. Because baits that are pretty catch fish just because they've caught the fishermen and fishermen are using them. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, sure. You know, but but there's baits that catch fish better that just don't look as good. So I don't know how much truth is to this, but um, I was told at one point that the the Cinco was designed after just a, like a ballpoint pen. Like, <laughs> that's what I had heard too, dude. Yeah, yeah. So I, who knows? That there wasn't much science to that one. I'll get, I'll say that if that's what it was. Lots of, of keystone time. light and a ballpoint pen. He's like, hold my beer. I got this. But think about how that, like, I mean, that created an entire style of fishing. That one design of that bait. It did. It totally so, did. It's great. Yep, that's a cool yep. story, dude. I I'd never heard it as long as I've known you. So that's awesome. Yep. Uh, and then another, another weird ahead. pattern I was on was uh, at Lake Shasta again in a, um, a Western Bassmaster tournament in the late nineties, I believe it was, um, so that was when it was pro on pro draw. I drew this guy. He was, uh, I'll just explain him as kind of squirrely. Like he was a nice guy, but he was just like, 
he was having none of me taking my boat and we ended up flipping the coin mm. um and he won the flip right so we went out in his boat no big deal i mean you you get your half of the day you just don't get it first right but uh-huh a lot of those situations i would always try to be as positive as as i can and just let let happen what's going to happen and make the most of it right so we run to the back of i want to say it was mcleod i think that's one of the the arms there run all the way back there and there's all these boats around right <laughs> and they're all fishing these patches of uh, of shad like you can see a dark spot it would just be a ball of shad swimming around right and the guy's like make sure you bring some little cast masters so i think i had eight eight ounce cast masters tiny trout trout baits little well and what's funny about it is you would pitch it into the school you'd get you'd set the hook and it'd be a you know 14 inch 12 13 14 inch spotted bass or a giant trout <laughs> and so every time you hook into a big fish, you're like, whatever, it's just a trout. Well, I pitch into one of the schools. That's weird. I hook, the, I hook this giant fish, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, that's a trout, my partner. And I'm like, yeah, I think it is a trout. And I'm fighting, and I'm like, you might want to get the net because it feels a little different. Ended up being like a three-pound smallmouth. <laughs> oh, a smallmouth, dude. That's yes. crazy. Shasta? Yeah. Shasta. So hey, we ended up man. catching, we ended up catching um, I believe, our limits of little spots out of there a handful of big trout and I caught the one big smallmouth and That's it was, it worked out. Right. And then we went and did my deal and upgraded our limits. And it just, I love that situation. Cause if you worked with it and made a positive out of a negative, it, a lot of times it worked, you know, no kidding. And that Think was one about, of those situations where it worked. Yeah. Yeah. You probably learned well, how, that too. And, and how much of psychology would be in play there, Rob? Like so imagine much. how people just freaking spun out. Like they lose well, the coin flip, they don't get their spot first, and like mentally they just come unzipped and it's over. <laughs> so my all-time favorite thing about that situation was, um, you could have 300 anglers, you could have 150 boats, right? And the mental aspect that you're talking about, the second day, half the field was out of it. So now, uh-huh. now you're fishing against 300 anglers, but really you're only fishing against 150 of them. At that, yeah. that was my mentality in it because if you could stay in that first day and get control of your boat because if you're above a guy he can't really after the first day let's say let's say you're in 30th and, and you draw a guy that's in 175th and he demands to take his boat like that's not cool man that doesn't yeah that doesn't fly. no kidding yeah so so generally you had pretty much control of the boat and once you establish that uh it just helped out a ton you know? totally so so it was uh I really enjoyed that that type of fishing and so many people complained about it but you know you I bet you if you talk to Skeet or Aaron or any of those top guys I bet you a lot of them didn't really have a problem with it because ultimately they had big enough names pretty early on that they had control of their boat no matter what yeah so I'm sure that, I'm sure they loved it you know mm-hmm. so but any interesting enough that's of that, cool but. yeah that's cool that's, that's cool man the uh the open water cast master trout shad pattern is uh is really it's interesting. just not common not a no. common deal that uh-huh. you would do and 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 you know generally the big fish you caught were trout which was kind of weird but yeah it was fun so totally yeah, how about you weird, nick those are my oh, go weird ahead. type of patterns yeah well, and my contribution to this is something that obviously I stole from you guys, and you'll both just nod with acknowledgement. But, dude, it's funny in the fall here, right? We we talk about throwing buzz baits in the back of pockets where the water is real skinny, and uh, fish are eating dragonflies, right? A hundred percent. That's a good one, dude. Hadn't thought about that. Oh well, yeah, hadn't thought about that to add to this conversation, but absolutely. Yeah, right. I mean, it's funny to think, and I think in one of the pilots to this podcast i don't know if we aired that one we we kind of went off on some bizarre late fall stuff and it's funny to think that you know bass are trying to get substance off of a an insect that has like negative seven calories but at that time in the year for whatever reason there must be enough of them that uh, they like it right i mean you can see them doing belly flops and in six inches of water trying to get those damn things out of the air no doubt. I've actually seen it even uh, this spring a little bit here in Arizona. Mm. Seen it uh, happen in a little bit. How about how about Aaron's pattern in the in the Elite Series at Havasu with the Blackbirds? Now that's Dude. weird, right? I'm talking. That's one reason why I just have to love largemouth bass. The fact that they're back in the Thule's eating birds, like that's a thug fish right there. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. 
That's a good point. They're killers, man. That was that was an amazing tournament, amazing pattern. I guess they kind of go on the same things. They're not even just looking in the water. They're right. <laughs> they're literally looking above their entire environment. And uh, and the whole key on that dragonfly deal, Nick, is uh, clear water and no mm-hmm. wind, right? Like you get too much wind, they can't see them anymore. But if you have clear water and no wind, um, I remember we were making buzz baits with red and, and blue skirts because those were the colors of the dragonflies. And we were just trying to imitate that. And those things just, they sit there and hover unintelligently, you know, a foot off the water. So I guess if you're a, if you're a cocky bass, it's why not, right? Give it a shot. See what could go wrong. Here's some science. I've heard, I I had heard and just completely heard from, I don't even know who, but they only live like a day. Is that, do you, do you know that to be uh, completely ridiculous? Is that possible? A dragonfly? I do. I don't think any bug lives longer than much more than a day. It's surprising how big they are though. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's, I have no idea, dude. That's they live their life and fast forward, Rob. Well, hopefully one of our listeners will enlighten us on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've what, already what? learned that Shad likes soft music and they're non-discriminant. We'll probably learn that. <laughs> Any epidemiologists out there? Yeah, we, please we, holler we, at we call us. call Mark Daniels Jr. And get yeah, him get him on the yeah. line. Speed dial. Uh, okay, so that's a good one, dude. Um, I've got one that a buddy told me about, and I've got one that – I was on a couple years ago. I'm going to start with my buddies first because it's crazier. Um, I was going to Lake Texoma for the first time 10 years ago. And he's just telling me a little bit about Lake Texoma, things that happen out there, what the lake is like. And he goes, hey, man, if you see any striper guides, the lake is full of striper guides. It's full of them because it's a fantastic freshwater striper fishery. Like on any given day, there's 50 striper guides out on the lake guiding. So he goes, when you see the striper guides and it's the end of their trip and they're coming to the dock, get into that marina. And he goes, what happens is the guides fillet the stripers and throw the guts in the water. And he goes, the big smallmouth will sit under there and eat the guts. He goes, get a flesh colored soft stick bait. And as soon as they leave, go in there and skip that underneath those docks and you'll catch big smallmouth. And, uh, dude, if you, uh, you know, hey, did it work? no, it didn't. It was just a massive distraction for me, dude. And I spent more time looking for striper guides, trying to figure out their schedules. And uh, <laughs> I missed a check by like half a pound. And I, I'm, I'm sure if I wouldn't have been messing around doing that, I would have probably caught the extra half a pound just fishing. But um, props to him for at least trying to help me. But uh, it didn't work. And he swears it works. But I thought it was kind of kind of crazy. Do you think a smallmouth would eat guts from a striper? No maybe idea. like Lake Mead, where there's you know one shad per hundred square miles. Maybe they eat do ice that cream enterprise. on Mead and Powell. You throw that <laughs> soft serve ice cream in the water at the marinas, and all the fish will come up and just eat a it, rolling dude. boil. <laughs> eat French fries and stuff like. That. <laughs> dude, that's what the stick bait was invented after. It was a French fry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know about that, man. I, saltwater fish do that for sure, but I don't know about a bass. That's funny. Yeah, and, it, and the funny thing is it's largemouth and smallmouth in that lake, and he was, like, dead set that it was a smallmouth deal. So huh. uh, who knows, dude? I mean, it didn't work for me, but it could work. And, I, you know, it's it's just on my inability to really get a good knowledge of the striper guide schedules. Correct. And, That's uh, where you went wrong. down on that, you know? <laughs> yeah, you you know should have made a bunch of fake reservations with him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what time you normally day. end your trips? Yeah. Just spend an entire day just <laughs> – figuring this out piggybacking off of them that's funny uh and then uh kind of a weird one that i just that i thought of last year that i got on it was i was fishing a lake that's a super barren lake it doesn't have much cover in it um especially when the water's not high and the water was at like a certain level where it wasn't at its lowest but it wasn't at its highest so it was low enough for there not to be a lot of shoreline cover but it wasn't so low that the reefs and stuff are like all over like dangerous to navigate so what happens on these lakes is they put they have buoys on all these reefs and then the water gets down to a certain level and then that buoy is on the surface to warn boaters obviously not to run over the reef but what was interesting was uh, we're having a, a relatively tough day of fishing fishing these deeper reefs i mean we're catching them but we're not catching them like we wanted to that day and um on live scope on my Garmin, I see one of these buoys and the, the buoy is 10 feet below the surface, the actual buoy, but you could see it on live scope. And then you could see the rope going all the way down to the bottom. And I'm like, 
that's the only thing over here. The only structure on this entire reef is that buoy, and you can't see it on the surface. So I pitch my drop shot over there, falls to the bottom, boom, catch one. I'm like, oh, that's crazy, man. How about that? Then we pull up to our next reef that we're going to fish, and it's the same thing. Like we fish around the reef, and we're not seeing anything, not catching anything, and I see that buoy again, and you don't see it with your eyes. You see it on live scope, and it's out there 50 feet out in front of the boat. The buoy's 10 feet below the surface, and I cast over to that buoy and catch one. Dude, every single reef we went to that had one of these buoys, I just it got to the point where we just literally wouldn't even cast. We'd just pull up to it in live scope, and it'd be like, okay, the buoy's over there, and you cast over there and catch one. And then you're done. But uh, I thought it was pretty cool, man, because uh, it was a huge advantage to have live scope that day. I never would have known any of those buoys were there unless I just magically landed on top of one. Wow. That's awesome. That's pretty that, cool. That's almost it. unfair. <laughs> it's a, it, it was an advantage to have it that day. That's for sure. But just for kind sure. of a, a weird thing I never would have thought about. Obviously, a buoy, it's not a secret to fish a buoy. You know, all these buoys have big concrete blocks that hold them down and stuff. And they're just they're fi- little fish magnets for one fish. But uh, it was cool when no one else knew they were there and you knew right where every single one was. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. That's cool. Um, right on. Well, I think that's all we've got. Well, for Josh, before we wrap that one, yeah. this one doesn't have a lot of wind behind it, but as we were talking, it made me think of it. Remember, uh, I think it was maybe the first time you went to the Sabine river. I, I went out and pre pre-practiced that with you whenever that was years ago. And one of the guys that had been kind of keying you in and helping you out with getting to know that area, didn't he say that the bass were eating uh, fr- shrimp? Because it's a real brackish fishery. Yeah, that's common down there for sure, dude. Bass will eat shrimp in a lot of those places, but it's it's so weird being from Arizona and being like, yeah, you know, he's like, hey, you know, this is the this is the uh, plastic shrimp that you can go buy, and I'm like, whoa, that's crazy, dude. It was I like remember being mind blown that shrimp. Were they yeah, never caught Jumbo? What were they? <laughs> yeah, they like coconut. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dude, I've seen them at that place years later at another tournament there. Um, you know, they'll eat crabs too, dude. Like bass will eat crabs and they'll eat little blue crabs. And a lot of times, like the closer you get to the salt where it's even more brackish, you have, uh, you'll fish baits that have a little blue hue and stuff in them because of the crabs and stuff like that. They're not going to eat a big old crab, but a little soft, fresh baby one is, uh, is a little treat. It's you on know? the menu. Yeah. yeah. Just one more reason. I mean, bass will eat a blackbird in the deserts of Arizona on the West coast. And then they'll go, you know, get their surf and turf on and eat some seafood, you know, in the South and Southeast. It's pretty sweet fish, man. Yeah. Have you guys ever had like, uh, some of the weird spit up in your live well from a bass? Have you ever, uh, like, like physically seen them eat something crazy like that or had them spit regurgitate something crazy? I've seen, um, it didn't happen to me, but a buddy of mine had a bird in his live well that one regurgitated. There it is. Yeah. Do you, what, where yeah. was he fishing? Delta or something? Or I wish Colorado I could River? remember it. I think it was Colorado River, if I remember right, but I'm not positive. Probably Havasu. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. That makes sense. I've definitely had him puke in my live well only to forget about it and then back it into my garage and then oh. remember that there's a bunch of fish vomit in my live well in the 120 degree <laughs> garage. That, oh, that's that's a nice little treat. I need to check mine, dude. I've got my boat <laughs> that that smell right is? now. It smells, dude. And uh, I fished yesterday, so there's probably a bluegill or some shad. Probably shad this time of year, but it could be a bluegill. The bluegill spawn's going on, so I need to look. That is a nice reminder. I had a buddy. Um, I had a buddy fishing the Colorado River. I wasn't with him. He opens the live well up and slams the door shut and flies across the boat. And he's like freaking out. He's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm shaking right now. I'm shaking right now. And our other buddy that's fishing the tournament with him is like, what's wrong, dude? What happened? What happened? And he's like, there's a snake in the live well. Uh. <laughs> dude, uh, he, he says a bass had eaten about an 18-inch snake and had regurgitated Whoa. in the live well. And it was all like, it was all, it was already the acids were eating at it and stuff. Like it was, it was starting to get like. Half uh, decomposed. Yeah, decomposing. But uh how else is that a dead snake going to get? It had to have been because they didn't see it when they put the first fish in there. You know, it's not like someone snuck that into their libel as a prank. Yeah. Uh, it it had to have been that. That's crazy, man. Yeah. I don't remember what type of snake it was. I mean, prob- honestly, there's a good chance it was a rattlesnake, but uh, kind of crazy. Um, well, I think that uh, we've got a couple more uh, really good topics. I think uh, we've got fishing terms. Um 
we'll, we'll go into this one real quick. Before yeah, let's we, do it, man. Yeah, before we save it for the next episode. Another one was, um, what are some some of the funniest fishing terms? He had mentioned, like, it's funny how a lot of the terminology we use in fishing, they can have, like, double meanings. And if you're a non-angler and you just, like, listen to us having a conversation about fishing, like my wife was listening to me talk about a buddy getting ready for the tournament yesterday. And uh, she <laughs> looks at me like, you guys are ridiculous. Like you're talking about, you know, dragging a watermelon lizard on a Carolina rig. Um, you know, and, and if, if you don't know anything about fishing, you're like, what language are these guys speaking? Yeah. The jargon, right? So true. Yep. Yep. It's, it's kind of yep. funny to think about. Yeah. We've uh, got, um, I've got a saying, actually, do you know what a Hey dad is? I have no idea. No. Well, it's a backlash when I'm fishing with my son. Ah. When he gets a backlash, he goes, hey, Dad, can you get this? <laughs> That's good, dude. Hey, hey, there it is. There's yeah. the episode title right there. Thanks, Rob. You're really contributing yeah. today. Yeah, and then I've got, um, like, guiding. I've got the stupid guide jokes. When someone hooks a tree, it's always a tree pounder. Oh, Ooh. yeah. Dang. Or just another another saying is uh, hook sets are free. Because when you're guiding, a lot of times folks um, – they're real timid on the hook set, right? So you got to talk them into setting the hook a little harder and and swinging more often, right? You don't yep. want the guy that swings on every sing, every little thing he feels, but you don't want the guy that just kind of, you know, babies it and misses every fish, right? Yeah, so hook sets yeah. are free. That's um, hey, on that one, dude. Set it or regret it. Oh, easy, yeah, man. But uh, hey, you know, yeah, if it's if it's a non-angler, they actually think it's clever. So yeah, and they probably are like, <laughs> I, I heard that on a paid program. Yeah, paid programming for an oven. Set it and forget it, man. It's like yeah. borrowed. And then another stupid little saying I had back when we were fishing, like let's say you roll up to a structure spot, an offshore spot, and you you hook into a big one. Um, I'd always say we ain't leaving until the live wells are heaving. So oh like, dang, like going to the bar, we ain't leaving until we're heaving type of deal. But we ain't leaving until the live wells are heaving. That's Ooh. a good one. Dude, Dude, I, I had to eat, man. I don't have anything like that, man. <laughs> well, and I, I, what about funny expressions, right? Like maybe you don't describe the techniques. Um, you know, I can't think of anything like that, but it's just funny expressions that like I, one of my infamous lousy trips that I tried to guide on was the one where I left the trolling motor down and tried to get up on pad. <laughs> and, uh, I, I had these clients and luckily they were super cool and their enthusiasm was through the roof the entire day. And uh, the fish gods were shining on me because we had a good day in spite of how lousy I was and unprepared. But uh, the dude got like a, I don't know, maybe a four or five pound fish on a, on a Cinco. And uh, dude, he lost it, man. Like he had, he had a nice little battle going back to the set it or regret it. I think he took a nap and then finally realized he had a fish on. So that thing had almost passed out of its anal vent by the time he realized he had a bite. But dude, so he's like, he's just like fighting this thing. Like it's a blue Marlin. And we get it in the boat, and uh, he just lets out this, like, roar. And he said, aggro. He's like, that's that was so the word. aggro. And how how many years and how much mileage we've got out of personal jokes oh, off of that. I remember that one so well, dude. Aggro. I almost named my real estate company aggro because I loved the word hey, so much. Like, there he is coined a, dude, a term. There is an aggro real estate he, company. He, I've Argo. seen this wrapped. Oh, Argo. Okay. If yeah, he yeah. would have pulled Agro off, I would have gave him a hug. Yeah, I know that guy. And I was like, I first I thought it was Agro too. I was like, I, did I take you fishing? Did you coin the term? <laughs> but dude, it was the funniest thing ever. And and those guys were like really into kayak fishing. So they were, you know, really digging at the time. I had that CDC Z9. So it was a weird layout on a, a sweet boat. And so we had been vibing and they'd been giving me all sorts of compliments on my boat. <laughs> I freaking leave my trolling motor down and just spray us all in water. It's like, don't worry. I, I don't even think I deserve a, an Alumacraft canoe right now. But uh, they, they were having a good time and what? they caught that fish. And, Agro, was that short for aggressive or? Dude, like, I think he it? was just so caught up in the moment that he just was going to yell. It, it could have been like pickles or something. I don't even know. <laughs> Dude, I think his brain was like trying to just generate the excitement into words and came out and I remember just smiling and not wanting to, but being like, that is, that's a, it's a new word you've created there. What are some of the, what are some of the word, what are some of the terms you guys get annoyed by? Like, like a couple for myself or like 
fishing pole instead of rod. Does that bug oh, you? Oh, oh, that's, yeah. that's classic. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's a good one. How about I got my my string my string tangled up? Oh, that's another one. You call so. uh, they call a uh, um grass and, and again it's they call grass seaweed, <laughs> seaweed. seaweed yes. one of my really good buds does it and he's so cool man awesome. if he hears this don't it's not you but it, everyone does it you know it's not just you man everyone no, it does is it, but it's so common I, to hear people say i, think seaweed. I know who that is <laughs> so, do i know who that is josh, josh. Yeah. dude josh. what about what about one of your classic client stories josh with the the guy who called the treble hook a grappler hook, didn't he call it a grapple oh, hook or grappling something? Grappling hooks, <laughs> calling them grappling hooks. That's awesome. Like miniature grappling hooks. Like, well, we're done fishing. We're gonna throw a couple of these over that wall over there and climb over to the other side. Exactly what they were, dude. <laughs> grappling hooks. Hey, I mean, they look like a grappling hook technically, right? So yeah. If you're a mouse. Uh, on the tournament. <laughs> Josh, what about, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you one more time. Remember the guy, dude, remember, I think it was even, it wasn't the same client, but the same era when uh, you were, you were doing a teensy bit of trout guiding in Sedona and uh, you had that guy and you said, okay, like when we get up to the stream, you got to be real, real careful because these fish are pretty spooky. Dude, what did he say? He got, he goes spooky. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Spooky. Whoa. Uh, He was, uh, yeah, he was a, a Jersey Shore type guy, and he was calling it Sedonia. He was calling it Sedonia, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> said, uh, yeah, I was like, okay, these fish over in this part of the river, they're, they're a little spookier, and he goes, whoa, 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 what do you mean spooky? <laughs> I was like, oh no, not like they're gonna hurt you, dude. They're just like they get a little nervous. They, like they got big teeth or something. <laughs> yeah, that's what he uh, said, dude. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean spooky? They got big teeth or something? And dude, how big is Oak Creek in Sedonia? It's like three plastic tables wide. Like what would live yeah, in there? A chihuahua that? couldn't drown in it, dude. dude. Yeah, it's it's tiny. So funny. That's a good one, dude. Yeah, those are those are good classic guiding stories, man. We need another guiding episode soon. It's so you remember what I cut you off on, dude? Um, uh, yeah. Cut you off okay, on so yeah. Go. Well, the annoying, the annoying things. I've got a couple on the tournament side, and dude, I've used them before. Like I'm, I'm no one to, no one to talk here, but like just over time, once you've been around for a while and you've heard them eight thousand and fifty times, it's like okay, <laughs> you know, we've heard it plenty yeah, of times. Cue the tape. I, I love when someone gets on the stage after not catching them. And says, well, I just swung for the fences today, you know, and uh, it's just, it's the perfect (laughs) excuse, dude. And uh, we all don't catch them sometimes. I've not caught them tons of times, but you just didn't catch them. But uh, to get up there and be like, well, yeah, I just, uh, I went for it today, made a long run, uh, swung for the fences and uh, just didn't, you know, and uh, just didn't work out. But uh, tomorrow's another day. Just prefer the guy to say, yeah, I just sucked today. Well, yeah, fun. for sure. I mean, hey, it just shows that shows experience. And hey, I get I get it. You know, like, you know, it's just everyone everyone has their things that they say. And it's just sometimes it's on robot mode when you get up there. And after a bad day, you really that's the last thing you care about. Right. Is finding the right thing to say in front of everyone. But, but it's just funny how that's it's the excuse like what? Well, it's OK. It, I didn't catch him because I was going I was swinging for the fences. See, so. and I like the the counter thought process to that is normally i don't swing for the fences a lot of times when i get in a tournament i like to throttle back go like 60 oh, percent right i'm not good. fishing to win try. right i'm not fishing to win i just like to you know upper middle of the pack is good for me but you know today i swung for the fences and i sucked so <laughs> like what uh and then just the just the phrase game changer i just don't like game changer like in my life same thing like, ever since i met you uh, well see i'm no good dude so i'm a game changer and i'm annoying so uh i don't know i've just heard it too many times like every new uh bait that comes out or every new uh piece of equipment's a game changer and every every kicker fish is a game changer and i don't know we need to create a thesaurus for fishing i don't have any better to use i don't have a better term um but it's just i've just heard it so many times i'm ready for something new so i aggro yeah, there you go. Aggro, you're welcome. Agro. Do you have another one, dude? Because I have something funny. I feel like this nope, this show has just degraded into me talking over you, which it should I, because I've we'll get already... more listeners that way. But <laughs> I've been through everything. What do you got? Do, do you remember a uh, long, long time ago? Another one that's classic talking about, you know, tales from the dock after a tournament that you didn't win where somebody had found the, the winning fish 
And uh, then, you know, they didn't get to fish them or something happened. And the guy who won, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I found those fish. But, dude, remember the time when uh, the person was like, they were fishing the spot wrong. I had found that spot. I was power pulled down on the juice. They didn't even fish the right spot. Power pulled down on the juice might be what I want on my tombstone when I die. Because that is, like, <laughs> the best phrase ever. He lived his life with his power pulls down on the juice. Like well, okay, right and, and yeah, I, I'm not going to go too deep into that one, but it was hilarious <laughs> because the the dude that was power pulled, that was fishing it wrong and power pulled on the juice, won the tournament. That's what I was trying to yeah, say, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean. <laughs> Clearly, he juiced it. Yeah, he definitely did it wrong, for sure, that day when he won the tournament and got there first legally. <laughs> he definitely did it wrong, dude. So, <laughs> yeah, what a jerk that guy is, man. Yeah, no, he's not. some. We need some off the air conversation on this one. I need to know a little more about this. I'll tell you all about it, dude. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's, you know, like Josh said, we have all said these things ourselves and done some really ridiculous things, but it's just, it's so much more fun when someone else does it because then you can just point at them and laugh. But we've all, we've all done it many times. Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah. Please, uh, yeah. If, if you've got some funny ones like that, guys, if you've got funny terms or, or, uh, or maybe some terms that we should be using to replace game changers, something like that, send it to us. If you've got just uh, any funny stories like that, send it to us at, at Angler's Happy Hour or any of our personal pages. It, it'd be cool to, uh, to take this one, one step further next time and, uh, just continue this one a little bit. Cause it, it, it can it snowball. Yeah. <laughs> Right on. Well, um, hey, we're a little over an hour now. Uh, you guys have anything else before we slow this thing down and wrap it up? No game changers, that's for sure. So, well, <laughs> I live my life all the time, aren't you? Dude, I live my <laughs> life one game change at a time. <laughs> all right thank you guys and again to the listeners sorry about that first 20 minutes um just like hey the the last 10 episodes since we've not been recording together uh had a little bit of audio issue we had just some internet connection so hopefully the last 40 minutes was better and uh, we're actually hoping to be able to meet up next week uh sit far apart and do this in the cave so that'll be great if we're able to do that and uh, hopefully we our audio Quality goes from like a one back up to like a three, like it used to be. <laughs> Out of a hundred. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again for listening, guys, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, guys. Hope you all have a great week, and we'll talk to you next Monday. <laughs>